Hello and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson. I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined as always by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, how have you been? It's been a couple weeks. I'm hanging in there, staying healthy. Um, I'm starting to get interested in baseball again because it seems like it's going to happen. So that's perking me up a little bit. How about you? In the same boat here, doing well. Hope all our listeners are doing well too. And I can't believe baseball seems like it's pretty close. We got a lot of exhibition games um, between actual baseball teams happening Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, it looks like. So we're only a few days away. Yeah, I know. It's getting there, finally. Yeah, I think we'll all we'll all have our eyes peeled on those more than we normally would because it's just been so long. Uh, can't wait for that to mm-hmm. be back. All right, so I think we have a pretty mm-hmm. fun episode planned for today. I'm uh, going to start out with some news. After that, we're going to uh, hit on an article you posted on the site last week about the most likely position players to be traded. And there's a lot of interesting names on there, interesting situations. I think that's going to be a really fun little segment there. Um, so let's go ahead and start it out with the news. The biggest news update from this week was the Braves signing Yasiel Puig. We don't have any of the contract details on that yet. All we know is that it's a one-year deal. Um, seems like a good fit for the team, but from a trade value standpoint, we won't really know much until we have the, uh, have that contract information. Yeah. And it's kind of a moot point anyway, because it seems unlikely that they would trade him. And since very few other teams showed interest, (laughs) you know, there's not much of a market. Um, and he's probably, you know, his salary is probably pretty close to his field value. So yeah, not much to, not much there. But I think it's safe to say it's a good fit for them. I'm glad he found a team. He's still a good player and took him a little bit longer than it should have to sign on somewhere. Yeah, I think the only thing that kind of I found curious was that um, with Markakis opting out and Freddie Freeman still sort of in doubt because he's out with the coronavirus, those are two big left-handed bats that they were missing mm-hmm. in their lineup. So the talk was they were going to try to get another lefty. Instead, they signed a righty perhaps because he was just the best available and the most convenient. So, um, you know, it is what it Mm -hmm. is. And if I'm not mistaken, Puig does have reverse platoon splits. Um, Mm. Not sure how notable those are, what kind of a sample they're over. Um, But interesting to keep in mind. Um, He's not not your typical power bat against lefties. But you should round out that lineup a little bit better with Marquecas gone. Okay, so from there... We have, over the last two weeks, a handful of opt-outs, like you mentioned, Nick Markakis, um, a handful of other veterans like Felix Hernandez, David Price, Buster Posey. In those cases, from a trade valuation standpoint, it's pretty straightforward. Those guys are already on their decline. They're, in, in most of those cases, two of those cases, Posey and Price, they were already in the red. They were already negative trade value, and now they're losing a high salary year. So that's actually a positive for their trade value, right? Exactly. And their current teams, you know, in a way, at least the owners are probably, you know, salivating like, oh, don't have to spend as much mm-hmm. um, because they're already losing money. And so that same perspective may apply to a potential team that would have been interested in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but uh, from a valuation standpoint, it doesn't change all that much. If anything, it makes it go slightly closer to zero because they get, they get that much closer to the end of their contract period. Yeah. So in both cases, Posey and Price, um, I think they only have two years left rather than three. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, not much to tell there. Yeah, I think 
Marcakis is in a little bit of a weird spot because he's kind of a fringe player. He had an all right season in 2019, re-signed, I think it was a $4 million contract for 2020. Um, Mm -hmm. Seems like the Braves like him, but nobody else really is too interested in keeping him going. He is getting close to 3,000 hits, which is weird. (laughs) Not not the first thing you think of of Nick Marcakis. you know, I th- I, re- I really think the big thing with him was the aging curve because he's really mm-hmm. getting up there into his mid to late thirties, and all the GMs are, you know, they 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 do tend to look at the aging curve as if it's if it's abrupt, you know, and and mm-hmm. um, you know the interest wanes as they get into that age range, you know, so that's why he's only making he was only going to make four anyway, and so the projections are such a higher injury risk, lower productivity, all the things that come with getting older. Yeah, and I've always liked him as a player. I hope this doesn't mean the end of his career because of this. That would be a rough way to go out. I think he can still catch on somewhere next year. I'm a little less optimistic about mm-hmm. King Felix. Um, another guy that just, yeah. you got nothing but respect for him if you've seen him pitch before, if you've seen his great years with Seattle, um, despite pitching for pretty pretty awful teams while he was there. Um, yeah. Really, I was really optimistic about this um, This second chance he was getting with the Braves. He had a chance to make the rotation back in actual spring training. It looked like he was actually headed toward that fifth spot, and now it's his 2020 season is over, and who knows if there is a 2021 season for him. Yeah, he was really um, clearly in decline. His velocity had dropped. You know, his numbers were were not good last year and the year before. So, um, it, you know, you sort of graph that out and it, it's it's going the wrong direction. Yeah. So um, and there wasn't that much sign that it was going to reverse itself. But who knows? He might have had a chance, to your point, in 2020 to show a little bit of reversal. I mean, the whole trick with you know aging pitchers, right, once they start to lose velocity is they start to rely more on control and kind of pitchability, if you will, and savviness and experience. And you know, some make that transition and some don't. And we'll see if he maybe he still has a chance to, you know, use his savvy and still throw 88 and somehow get guys out. It's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, hope hope he gets a shot next year. I won't be too surprised if he doesn't. It's not the way you want your career to end, but he'll always be remembered very fondly in Seattle for yeah what he did for that club. Sure. And then... Moving past those veterans, there's two, I think, more interesting players that also opted out, and they're both youngsters, two of the best, hardest-throwing pitchers in the game, Uh, Michael Kopech of the White Sox and Jordan Hicks of the Cardinals. And so these are two different situations. Kopech opted out of the season, and like those other veterans, he uh, just opts out of the season, does not receive service time or salary, whereas Hicks has a pre-existing condition. He's a type 1 diabetic, and so he will be receiving both service time and his salary. So how are those situations different? Um, from a trade value standpoint, there's really not much going on um, because they both have so much control, uh, years of control ahead of them, that um, you know that's really where the weight of their value is, is in their, in their multiple years of control, relatively cheap control ahead of them. They're still young, you know, and in, in kind of the you know, the upside of their aging or their valuation curve. So like Hicks, for example, changes from like 6.2 to 6.1. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. nothing. Um, and Kopech pretty much the same. He's in the same range as well, a little bit because um, um, there was a little bit of that because to your point, um, you know, he doesn't get credit for the service time. So maybe there's there, there was a slight equation difference there, but not much. 
they're both um, still highly valuable and you know in terms well didn't didn't change much in terms of relative to their positions hicks being a reliever relievers are generally you know it's it's hard to kind of gain value um they're in the sort of typically in the single digits Kopech is a starter at least we think he's going to be he had much more value as a result of that but neither of them changed all that much yeah and it's also worth noting that they were both rehabbing tommy john um I think we would have seen Kopech at some point in 2020. Um, maybe if not for all 60 games, we would have seen him for 30 or 40, I'd guess, um, of the shortened schedule. But Hicks, at the same time as this opt-out announcement, we learned that he'd had a setback in his Tommy John recovery and probably wasn't going to be able to pitch until September. So at that point, it, it's essentially the same as if he had stayed on the 60-day IL all season. Exactly. All right. So from there, I believe that's all our news for these last couple weeks. Hoping this time, two weeks from now, we'll have a little bit more news as the season starts to actually start up. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, to that point, I think there will be a few different, you know, minor transactions. There will be, you know, some, you know, one thing we noticed, um, the Padres released Brandozier, for example, you see some veterans who were on the fringes, maybe on minor league contracts, um, who probably cost a little bit more than a younger replacement value type of player who might mm-hmm. be on a minimum salary. And with teams kind of very budget conscious right now because they're losing money, you know, guys like Dozier may not find a home and there may be others like him that get cut from rosters. So I expect mm-hmm. to see more of those types of things. I believe Juan Lagares as well by the Padres was cut. Mm-hmm. Similar situation. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, I think we should see a lot of news because as soon as the season starts, the clock is ticking for the trade deadline. Um, last season, and typically in a normal trade season, we'll start doing our updates and start really getting ready for the trade season on July 1st with the whole month there. Um, but now opening day is essentially the same as that July 1st where <laughs> season starts and you got about 30 days, give or take, to figure out who you are, what you need, and what you're going to get at the trade deadline with it coming up so quick. So I think we could see rumors pop up real early in the season. We could. It's going to be interesting because it's such an unusual season. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, that's not a whole lot of time for for GMs to assess what they have or what they need. So um, you might see them just standing pat. You might see them also standing pat because owners have said, you know, don't add to the budget because, you know, they're losing money. So it's going to be interesting. On the other hand, um, Brian Cashman was quoted as saying, well, once the season starts going and those competitive juices start flowing, Mm -hmm. you know, it may be back to normal to some degree. So it could go either way. Yeah. Um, I also had one other other news bit that I wanted to mention. Um, was that the MLB and the Players Union have reached an agreement on vesting options and bonuses. Um, It's not entirely clear. It seems like, for the most part, vesting options will be treated um, in prorated fashion. So the example that MLB Trade Rumors is giving here of Andrew Miller, um, he needed 37 appearances for for his team option to vest, and so he'll only need 14 since it's prorated to the 60 games. I did see a couple exceptions for Jay Happ and Rich Hill on their bit weird vesting and bonus criteria but we'll kind of we'll be treating that on a 
case-by-case basis as far as trade values go. Yeah, exactly. So right now it's probabilistic. So if it, but there's a little too much subjectivity. So we're sort of yeah. shying away until we see what the trend is. And a lot of those players are not necessarily the most likely to be traded. It's guys like John Lester. Um, Hap probably isn't going anywhere. I'm not sure anyone really wants him. Rays probably probably aren't moving. Charlie Morton. Um, it's a lot of either players that are good and teams going to hang on to them, or kind of sunk costs that aren't going to be easy to move anyway. Yeah, in the case of Hap, you know, the, the Yankees now suddenly need him in their rotation. He mm-hmm. was on the bubble in the offseason, but but now he's like their they're number three starter, given some <laughs> of the question marks there. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so I think that's all for the news. And now we'll head into the trade of the week. I think this one kind of goes hand in hand with that whole idea of this is a weird season and people are going to teams are going to have to figure out who they are pretty quick out of the gate. And we could see some weird things as a result of that. Um, so this deals between the Rockies and the Tigers, and it's got Matthew Boyd and Alex Fiedo headed to Colorado in exchange for Brendan Rodgers, Riley Pint, and Julio Carreras. So this one's it's it's a weird deal between two semi-rebuilding teams that are both trying to head to the head to contention in very different ways. The Tigers went through a traditional rebuild, whereas the Rockies have been kind of trying to tread water for a couple years now. And this would maybe push them more in that upward direction, whereas it might be more of a traditional move for the Tigers. Um, and it's some interesting players value-wise in Boyd and Rogers. I think they're both two of the most unique players of their type, where Boyd has fantastic peripherals, but he's got a home run problem. ERA has never really reflected what some believe his true talent level is. And then Brendan Rodgers, were former top prospect, um, one of the top in the game, and he hasn't done anything since making the big leagues. So what do you, what do you think of this one? So a couple of points. From a valuation standpoint, it's basically Boyd for Rodgers. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the main pieces, and the others are sort of just filling it out to make it even. Um so the Tigers are rebuilding. They want to get if they do trade Boyd. Obviously, they want to get a, a, a you know a top-ish prospect back for him. Um, and so Rogers would fit that bill as he's been a, um, a top prospect for a while now. But he is coming off of of shoulder surgery. He hasn't established himself yet. So there are some question marks, which is why his valuation is not quite as high as it used to be around thirty. Boyd is around 28. His valuation took a little bit of a hit due to the uh, pandemic stopping the season and there, and in his case, wiping out some of his surplus value. Yeah. So they're, they're pretty close. Um, what I found interesting was also with this proposal from our user named uh, Mickey Smalls is that, um, you know, we don't typically see the proposals of Boyd going to a team like the Rockies. And we see mo- many of us who follow baseball seriously, we see the Rockies as a quasi rebuilding team because they're going to need to rebuild at some point, but they don't necessarily see themselves that way. So I found it interesting that they might actually be interested in a, uh, you know, a, a trade like this because they might see themselves as wanting to contend while they still have Arenado for this year and next guaranteed. Um, and then further, the Rockies always have a hard time attracting pitching. 
because no one wants to pitch in Colorado because it affects their stats. So trade is usually the way they get a, a, a higher quality pitcher, and this would be one way to do so. So um, on the flip side of it, Boyd has home run problems, and he's pitching in cores. Whew, that yeah. could be fun. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, there's offsetting issues there. Yeah, I think I, I don't know how I feel about this trade specifically. I think all of these players, all five players here, are ones that very well could be moved, and I think it would make sense for their current team to move them. You got Pint, who was a former first-round pick, and now he's just kind of a mess, and so some team might decide he's a worthy reclamation prospect. still has plenty of upside. They just forgot how to pitch, it seems. Um, I think he's had some injury issues as well. Um, Carreras, interesting enough lower levels outfielder he's already 20 and he hasn't made it past uh, rookie ball i don't believe yeah so that's a bit of a fringe prospect um Fiedo, again he's he's a serviceable decent uh starting pitching prospect he's nowhere near the a casey mize or a Tariq skubal for detroit um, so he's part of that group that they might consider trading um and i think i think as you mentioned, the Tigers could move Boyd and the Rockies could move Rogers. I don't think Boyd's a good fit in Colorado at all. <laughs> I mean, I I think he's, you said it yourself, the home run problem in Coors isn't, I don't think that'll help it get better. <laughs> if he's given up homers in Comerica Park with a 420 foot center field fence, I, I don't know how he's going to do on Coors. Yeah, I agree. But then again, who knows? Colorado might. It's more from their perspective rather than his mm-hmm. perspective. So we'll see. You know, if they were to entertain such an idea. Yeah. All right. So thank you again to Miggy Smalls for the submission. As always, if you want to hear your trade discussed on the trade of the week, just submit it on the site. If we like it, if the readers like it, maybe we'll talk about it. So from there, let's move forward to your article, John, on most likely position players to be traded. Um, you broke them up into a few different categories based on the type of player, type of contract situation, and the probability of whether they would be traded. So why don't we start out with some of the high probability players? Sure. And before I do that, I just want to say this is the first of a series right. leading up to the trade deadline. So. We thought we'd break it up into three parts, so we'll, we'll focus this one on position players. The next one will be on starting pitchers, and then the third one will be on relievers. And the thinking there is um, relievers seem to be always hot commodities as you get near the trade deadlines. So we thought we'd finish with those, as those are you know probably of the three groups. These are that, that's probably gonna be the most active group. It typically is. And then starting pitching is always in demand, um, as, as especially as contenders start to see themselves as potential playoff uh, teams. And so they might, might want extra starting pitching. So that's the second one. Um, but the position player group is always a little bit um, trickier because obviously we're grouping a whole bunch of positions into one group. But also, um, you know, sometimes it's very need based. You know, sometimes you need a, you know, platoon bat. Sometimes you need an extra outfielder, an infielder. It depends on the situation. In this particular case, the high probability ones, you know, obviously you'd want to start with rentals. And by that, we mean players who are nearing the end of their contract period or control period. So they're going to be free agents at the end of this year. Therefore, there's not much left of control there. So they're quote unquote rentals. And you've only got them for two months, maybe three if you make the playoffs and, and they help you there. 
There's not really a whole lot of interesting names here. Andrelton Simmons is probably the biggest name, but he's playing on a team that is, um, you know, a middle of the pack team that may think them, think of themselves, the Angels being the case, as a potential wild card team at least. So they may may not want to move him. Jackie Bradley Jr. is another somewhat big team on the Red Sox. I know they tried to move him, uh, and they haven't really found anything takers. They're probably not a playoff team, given their trade of bets and other issues, bad rotation and so on. So maybe he may not find a home unless there's a, a team looking for a defensive center fielder. So there's not a lot of big names. I mean, it's just sort of like bench guys who might be productive. Matt Joyce would be a good left-handed bat. I suggested in a proposal that he go to Atlanta. We were talking about their need for a left-handed bat earlier. So maybe there's a fit and he was good for them last year. You know, a guy like, there's always backup catchers that sometimes get moved or needed. So, you know, Jason Castro, again, on the Angels. Um, it's debatable whether he's a backup or a starter, but, um, you know, he could move if they get off to a bad start. Austin Romine at the Tigers could be moved. He's probably a, an obvious one. The Tigers, have, you know, have a, tip, a typical pattern of signing veterans in the hopes of using them as trade chips. We saw that with Mike Fires a couple of years ago. Um, you know, so they signed Jonathan Scope, second baseman. Utility guy. They signed uh, CJ Crone, right-handed power bat, probably a DH. Maybe there's a team in the National League who could use him. And so, um, you know, as well as Romine. So there's uh, there's a couple of options there. Oh, Cameron Mabin's another one, maybe for outfield help. He showed some life with the Yankees last year. So there's a few others. Tommy Listella of the Angels, again, you know, if they fall them, find themselves out of contention, he's a utility infielder who started to break out a little bit last year before he got hurt. And one other interesting one I thought of um, is D. Gordon on the Mariners. His contract is underwater. The Mariners, though, have not been shy about finding a way to trade guys who are underwater. They did it with Mike yeah. Leake last yeah. year and Jay Bruce before that. So in, in a, I could see a team, given the new rule about uh, putting a runner on second base in extra innings, you know, you need a speedy guy, and there's your, there's your mm -hmm. speedy guy. So um, he might garner some interest just on that basis. Um, and then maybe a guy like Shinsu Chu, also an underwater contract. But again, if the Rangers were to fall out of contention early and want to throw in some cash, maybe there's left-handed bet. Atlanta is another possibility there um, with the DH rule in, in the National League. So, yeah, so you could kind of make a case for a few of these guys, but none of them are needle movers in a big way. Yeah, um, I'd like to go back to Crone and Scope real quick. I was listening to Effectively mm -hmm. Wild last week. Uh, I think the episode was actually from a couple weeks ago. Uh, listeners, if you haven't heard Effectively Wild before, it's a Fangraphs podcast. Highly recommend it. It's one of my favorites. Um, they were discussing just exactly how much variance there is in a 60-game season. And essentially, they found that even most of the worst teams in history, maybe not, maybe not some of the very, very worst teams, but even the bad teams, they put together a stretch during their season that was roughly 30 and 30 over 60 games. And who knows this season, 30 and 30 might get you into the playoffs. And so the Tigers, <laughs> they've, they've upgraded a little bit and they got some players that are with some talent. They're not the same team they were last year. Scope and Crone are valuable major league assets. Um, Goodrum came into his own. As we mentioned, Boyd, Spencer Turnbull is interesting. Maybe they get a little aggressive, see if Spencer Torkelson can hit at the big league level this year. Highly doubt that one, but I can hope. Mm -hmm. um, so that's 
they're they're not the same team they were last year. They're they're still not a good team, but they're closer to it. And maybe they're a team that can fluke into thirty and thirty. And if if they're fifteen and fifteen after the first month of the season, you get to the trade deadline. Are they really going to move Scope and Crone? If it's going to be for some middling return in the one to two million worth of trade value range, is that worth it to them? Right. Or do they hang on to them and go for it? I mean, that's two of the top rental bats on the market. So I think the rental market is going to be more fluid than we've ever seen it before because on the flip side of that the angels think they're great they just spent so much money on anthony rendon but if they go 10 and 20 maybe that's too much to overcome too much to come back from maybe they just kind of throw it in for this year move listella move castro move simmons so it's going to be a very very fluid situation very dictated by those first few weeks of play yeah absolutely right and to your point it may not be worth the trouble, you know, because mm-hmm. these are these guys are not going to, especially around August 31st when you've only got a month left. There's not a whole lot of value left at all, and there wasn't to begin with, really, with a shortened season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do you really does it matter much to get a, a minor prospect for you know Jonathan Scope? Eh, yeah. Maybe, but it's you know, six of one, a half a dozen of the other. There's there's no Machado of the deadline. There's no right Darvish. There's no um... Harper that we were speculating on a couple years back. There's no universally superstar on on the last year of his deal to where, okay, the top team, the Dodgers, they're going to go hard for this guy. There's none of that. There's just some role players, guys where you squint and they got a major league role, guys where maybe if they had a hot month, they're a starter. It's it's nothing, nothing too pretty on the rental market. Right. It gets a little more interesting, though, as you get into the medium probability guys. Uh, and so these are guys with um, one plus years of control. Um, some will be clearly on teams that are rebuilding and some are sort of not. And um, so a guy like Jorge Soler is on the Royals and they're probably not going to be a contender, you know, this year, or next year. So if they get a good offer from him. You could see him. I mean, he was the home run champ in the AL last year. You could see him. He's really coming into his own. You could, you could see him being a bitch, especially from a DH perspective. Um, and, you know, teams might calculate that, um, you know, another year of him is worth it. And so there's 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 a price to be paid there. His value is definitely higher than some of those rental guys. Uh, Whit Merrifield, speaking of the Royals, you know, when are they going to trade him? <laughs> you know, there's, there's always been speculation about him. And he's not getting any younger. Um, so there's an interesting name there. Um, maybe the pirates think about moving them. They got a new GM and Ben Sherrington and, you know, they're probably thinking about the long game. So maybe they start thinking about moving Josh Bell or an Adam Frazier. Um, the Mariners are always looking to deal. Maybe they can find a ticket for Kyle Seager. Uh, if they throw in a bunch of cash. So, um, you know, there's more interesting names in that group. Yeah. I think just from going up and down the list, um, it's it's a variety of names too. There's a lot of those guys in the Seager mold where definitely underwater contracts, but you can see where the value would be to a team. The Giants with Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford. Um, those are two guys that are in Crawford's case. He's very clearly past his prime, but still usable as either a low division starter or a solid backup. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Belt, everybody, everybody's been saying for years, if they get him out of uh, San Francisco, out of that ballpark, maybe he's got more in the tank. Maybe he can actually be the power hitter that he might profile as 
Um, so maybe a team shows a little interest there. Uh, Gregory Polanco, also underwater. He's never really shown the hype that he had at one point. Um, never really blossomed the way that people thought he would. Maybe a team takes a chance there. Um, and then Mitch Haniger, he's included here, but I think he's a unique situation. Um, yeah. The injuries there have just been kind of mounting up. Um, some of them less fortunate than others. <laughs> um, yeah, so he, he, he would only be... First. Yeah, exactly. And that would be a buy low move. So there may be a yeah. savvy team that thinks, okay, I'd get him when his value is lowest in the hopes that he is healthy for the next couple of years after that. Um, the other one I think is interesting is J.D. Martinez because mm -hmm. he's got a series of opt-outs in his contract. And so, you know, by trading for him, you would effectively be taking the risk that you'd be losing after a year or two months in this case. But you would also be taking a risk that he doesn't opt out and you have to pay him, you know, for a yeah. longer term. And given that teams are very money conscious right now, they may not want that either. So um, I think, you know, that's an interesting case. That's why we have his value is relatively low because he's almost a rental, but he's not quite a rental because you don't know which way that coin is going to flip. Yeah. Um, so I think it's I think, an interesting case. I think this is the list that you'll see national league teams shop from if they want a DH, if they want a more reliable DH type. You got Jorge Soler, yeah. you got Corey Dickerson, uh, Todd Frazier, Daniel Murphy, Josh Bell, J.D. Martinez, Trey Mancini, Wilmer Flores, Jesus Aguilar. These are all guys that would I, that would hypothetically thrive in a DH role. And now that there's 15 new spots opened up for those guys in the National League, I think it's more likely to get moved. Yeah. And I just want to give a shout out to Miguel Rojas, who um, nobody ever talks mm -hmm. about him and he's playing out with the Marlins, but he's he's an average shortstop. He's not terribly exciting, but he had a good season last year. I think it was a two war season and he's on a really very reasonable contract. So if somebody needs a shortstop, you know, let's say the Reds are in it and they want to upgrade. Yeah, he's a mild upgrade from Freddie Galvis, but he's uh, nonetheless, it's a sneaky play there. He might be in you know, yeah. some activity there. Yeah, I'm a Miguel Rojas fan. And Definitely doesn't get the credit he deserves. He's no he's no star, but he's got some like you said, he's got some value for a team that is maybe upgrading from Jose Iglesias or from Freddie Galvis or from right. one of those types of guys. Alright, so let's move forward to the low probability. These are some of the bigger names on these lists. Yeah, so there's two categories here. Um, the first of which is these guys are rentals but they're probably on contending teams. And so they're unlikely to be moved. So we're talking about like a JT Real Mudo. The Phillies obviously see themselves as contending teams. Well, what happens if they get off to a really bad start? Do they start thinking about it? Because they haven't, you know, engaged, according to reports, they haven't engaged in extension talks lately with, with Real Mudo. Maybe they try to get something for him. He does have a far more significant uh, trade value right now than, than some of these other guys. So, um, so there's a decision there. Um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, the Dodgers tried to move Jock Peterson. I don't see them falling out of contention, but um, it's an interesting name nonetheless. Um, maybe the Mets get into a, off to a bad start. They, they think about moving Wilson Ramos, who is a better hitting catcher, not much on defense, but a good bat. Um, so they've got, uh, there's a couple of possibilities here in this category. I don't see the Yays moving Marcus Semien because I think they're all in this year. Um, and... Uh, 
you know, there's a couple other guys who are sort of role players, like Kike Hernandez of the Dodgers, or uh, we mentioned Freddie Galvez. Cesar Hernandez on the on the Indians, they signed him for a one-year contract. If they're out of it, eh, maybe he gets moved. But then again, not a not a great deal of interest, perhaps not a nail mover there. So some interesting names, but that's just, this is you can see why they're low probabilities because they're likely to be on contending teams and therefore not likely to be moved. Yeah, I think Jock Peterson is the most interesting name on this list, considering he was traded for a few hours and then it got kind of undone. <laughs> um, he was originally, yeah. after the, the first version of the Mookie Betts trade, he was going to be shipped off to the Angels as part of a deal for Luis Renjifo and Ross Stripling was going to Anaheim too. And it was, it was a weird trade and I didn't really understand it at the time. Well, we uh, didn't hear what the other parts of the return goes. were. So Yes. Yeah. So it was incomplete prospect. Right. Um, But that, that showed some willingness to move him. Maybe now with the DH, he has more of a spot there, but their team is still pretty crowded with major league quality hitters. And of course that's always a good thing to have, but if push comes to shove, they need a pitcher, they need a reliever or something. And teams say, Hey, how about Peterson? That's a guy that the Dodgers might be more willing to move. And I think, I think he's, he's a very quality player that, a lot of other teams should have interest in. And he's a left-handed bat. So a team like the Braves, who was rumored to have interest in another left-handed bat, well, the Dodgers may not want to fortify the Braves if they anticipate seeing them in yeah. October. Um, but maybe a different team that, that is not necessarily a rival to the Dodgers would be of interest. Mm-hmm. Maybe a team like the A's. Maybe if they want to, if yeah. Stephen Piscotty struggles again, if they want to upgrade from Robbie Grossman and left, add another lefty bat there. Um I do want to yep. touch on Semyon real quick because I think that is one of the more unique situations in baseball. It's coming off such a fantastic 2019 and teams, uh, the team was discussing an extension with him. We haven't heard anything about that since all this happened. And given the A's notoriously cheap ownership, can they get an extension done? Will they choose to get an extension done in this current financial environment? So I think, there, there is a possibility there that if they get off, to, and they, they, it's a team that's been known to get off to slow starts. So if they get off to one of those and they really are looking like they're out of it, maybe. Not like maybe. maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's no obvious replacement, it's short. But then again, mm-hmm. you know, if they are out of it, to your point, they won't care about this year. Um, it seems unlikely, but, but yeah, it, stranger things have happened. Mm-hmm. And now from there, we move on to the real exciting names. So I think the lowest probability is you know, there's a group of stars whose clocks are ticking. Um, but they're mostly on contending teams. And for that reason, they're probably not going to be moved. The Cubs have a bunch of these guys, and they all have the same um, years of control. Chris Bryant, uh, Javier Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Kai Schwarber all have you know, 1.3 years of control. Wilson Contreras has one more. You know, they're probably going to go for it again this year. And so they're unlikely to, I mean, I know there was rumors they were dangling, you know, Contreras and, and Bryant, but that was in the off season. Um, now that we're, looks like there is going to be a season, they're probably just going to go for it. There hasn't been any rumors whatsoever about guys, you know, being traded from that group. So the Cubs have a whole bunch of, they, at some point they're going to need to rebuild, obviously. Um, but I think they're going to go for it. Um, and try to make another run. The Rockies, we talked about them. Who knows? But they've got Arenado and Story. Um, Arenado can opt out after next year. Story's control is is limited to after next year as well. So they, um, you know, 
they probably should have considered trading those guys, but since they haven't, they're probably not going to be moved anytime soon. And perhaps the biggest name is Francisco Lindor, who everybody talks about. I think the Indians are going to try to make it at this point, but since they haven't traded him, uh, they're probably going to give it one more go this year and then and most likely move him in the offseason. Yeah, I think on the one hand, Arenado really stands out to me. Um, he's the one guy on this list that has already signed his mega deal, his huge contract. Before all of this, there were reports of issues between him and Rocky's ownership, management. Um, it's from, from the outside point of view, it really looked like he would be using that opt-out, but now it's, it's all up in the air. If 2021 is impacted in any way, whether it's the free agent market is slow, whether it's another shortened season, whatever happens there, that just means it's even more likely that Arnado, despite not loving it in Colorado, says, this is the best deal I can get. I'm staying on this contract. And that's I think a little that, scary. That's hmm? Go for it. Yeah, no, I, I may have, sorry, read your mind, but I, I think that is more of an issue now than it was before. Yes. Um, with teams losing money this year and probably next year, that contract is starting to look like a negative, right? Because nobody wants to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, pony up that much right now in this environment. So that's why his trade value took a hit. It was already kind of dubious, but mm-hmm. now it's even more, you know, he would probably bring back a little bit if people just agreed to take on the contract. We have him at like five, some, some, you know, low single digit, but the, um, uh, you know, the contract would definitely give teams pause in this environment. Yeah. On the other hand, if you're the Dodgers, if you're the Yankees, if you're the Phillies, if you're one of these big budget teams, the Nationals maybe, and you're looking at a guy like Lindor, Bryant, Baez, Story, you look at them and you say, they're not on their mega deal, but they are still earning a lot of money this year and next. Whether that's from contracts they've signed, whether it's their upcoming arbitration, they're still not cheap. And... Maybe that is a negative factor in acquiring them now. Additionally, that uncertainty we're talking about in 2021 is another reason. And if you know they're going to be free agents after then, why not just wait, take a risk, and try to get them once they hit the open market? That that could be going through a lot of these bigger budget teams' heads, too. So even, even yeah. though they're easier, I believe, to move than Arenado, I still think it's far from a sure thing. And that's a good point. So a lot of things are going to change. After 2021, there will be a whole new collective bargaining agreement. And so that might change the landscape. You know, at that point, there will be more clarity on finances. You know, teams are losing money right and left this year and probably into next year as well. You know, to your point, it it may be better and smarter to wait for some of these guys such that the free agent market at that point in the winter after the 2021 season they might get some deals uh, if Aaron Otto opts. He, well, I think in that environment, he's less likely to opt out. So yeah. either the Rockies are stuck with him where they find a trade partner, you know, for him. Um, uh, but he'll probably, to your point, he probably think, well, I'm not going to get a better deal. So I'm going to hang on to this deal and not opt out, whether it's in Colorado or wherever they trade me to. So, um, but I think mm-hmm. in other cases, like a story or a Lindor, they're going to test the market and, and, and teams will just wait for them. You know, so that could dampen their value as well. Yeah, and this environment makes it just so scary to trade prospects in general, I think, um, especially top prospects. Um, if you're the Yankees, are you really excited to give up Davey Garcia or, God forbid, just on Dominguez 
for Lindor or Bryant Mm -hmm. when a week after you pick up that guy, maybe the season gets shut down. Maybe the cases just spike all over the place. Maybe 2021 has a similar situation, another wave. It's a seasonal virus. There's, I believe, I believe there's too much uncertainty. Now maybe that opens, maybe that opens a door for a market inefficiency here. If a team goes super aggressive, maybe it clicks. Maybe the seasons don't get cut short. Maybe there is a full 2021. Things are back to normal and they've just got a superstar at a discount rate. But that's a huge risk to be taking. It is. Um, and I think teams now look you know, back at the Mookie Betts trade and think, ooh, dodged a bullet there because the Dodgers, you know, spent a lot of trade capital on that and they, you know, they missed four months of production of Mookie. You know, they may still end up with, you know, some value at the end here, especially if they make it to the World Series and he helps them. And so all all good from that point from their point of view if that happens. But if that doesn't happen, yeah, the Red Sox are looking pretty good now. They've got, you know, um multiple years of Verdugo and and um and who else did they get? Um Jeter Jeter Downs. Downs Um, you know, and and they, you know, and and you know, it's all, you know, and and Mookie wouldn't have been playing for them anyway. So so they, you know, from that standpoint, look like winners here. And so a team thinking about acquiring a superstar and knowing they'd have to give up significant value in prospect capital may hesitate to do so based on that example and that risk. And markets in general do not like uncertainty. People don't like trading in a fog. They much prefer the dust to clear and say, okay, now I know what I'm dealing with. So I think it could be colder for that reason alone. Mm-hmm. And then one last note for me on this this little list. Um, Schwarber kind of stands out to me. He doesn't really look like all the rest. He's got the lowest trade value on this list aside from Arenado, and that's because of Arenado's contract. Um, mm-hmm. but Schwarber isn't quite the dynamic player that Baez or Bryant or Lindor are. Um, he looks a little different here, and so at first glance, that's okay. Maybe he's a little bit more likely than these other guys to be traded. But I think it's pretty obvious by now that the Cubs love the guy. I mean, they've he's been mentioned in trade talks, I feel like, every single season, and he's still there. And the Yankees have pushed to get him, and other teams have, and he's, he's still there. They've hung on to him. And I think because he's not as big of a name, he's easier to extend. Contract isn't going to be as big. And if the DH is headed to the NL full-time, that makes him, that's a better fit for him, both short and long-term with the Cubs. So I think, I think that all works to keep him in this low probability area where he just might be a lifetime Cub. That wouldn't surprise me a bit. Yeah. And you make a good point. Um, you know, I, I think the, the Cubs are going to go for it, but maybe in the off season, if things don't work out, then they start moving pieces. He's very, very much likely to be moved. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure if the DH will be back in 2021 and in, in, in the NL. Um, you know, it's, it sounds like it's just an aberration for this year, but maybe after the next, in the next CBA, it could be. So you may have this kind of donut situation where it is, and then it isn't, then it is. Yeah, and so that yeah. might affect his demand a little bit. Um, so the, um, but nonetheless, he is a, you know, obviously an intriguing power bat from the left side. And as we noted earlier, there's several teams who are looking for that. So um, I think he would have a yeah. market. So then beyond that, you describe certain archetypes of player that might be seeing interest here. And I, I definitely agree with um, a lot of depth type players are going to be needed here with how fluid the season is going to be. Um, if players do miss time due to injuries or COVID or 
any circumstance, it's going to be a bigger deal this season with only 60 games. If you're starting left fielders out for three weeks, that's a third of the season. So uh, what are these, what types of players do you think are going to be moved the most? Yeah. So I think it just, it, it's going to be, I've sort of grouped them by position type in a way. So you've got like, you know, defensive outfielders like Jackie Bradley Jr., Kevin Pillar, you know, um, that could provide for a contending team that needs, particularly in the later innings, that could be an advantage. You know, your platoon bats, that could be good pitch hitters. Mentioned Matt Joyce from the left side, CJ Crone from the right side. They've got, you know, significant splits, so people could, you know, use them as pinch hitters. That's typically a, a type of role that's in demand, you know, at the trade deadline. Um, with the uncertainty of COVID, there's always going to be need for depth in the middle infield. So we mentioned scope. Uh, Jonathan VR is another name. He had a great season last year. Um, the Marlins picked him up for, for basically nothing and would probably flip him. So, you know, there's probably, you're not going to get much for him, but, um, but there's something there that could help a team. You know, we didn't talked about the DH types. Um, and I do think, again, D. Gordon, <laughs> you know, he hasn't been able to move, but maybe this is his opportunity. This is the window for a speedy pinch runner. And that's, there's your guy. So I wouldn't be surprised. Same vein, Billy Hamilton with uh, San Francisco. Yep. Billy Hamilton. I think we've we've heard it from we've heard it from a lot of teams that, um, and it's it's unfortunate. I kind of cringe a little bit every time I hear it that it might not necessarily be the best team that wins this year. It's going to be the team that stays the healthiest, and that's yeah. an unfortunate reality we're just stuck in, given the circumstances, given the length of the season, given the literal pandemic we're trying to play through. Um, but I think there's a little asterisk you can add to that. It's even if a team doesn't stay the healthiest, if they make the smartest acquisitions or even just the luckiest acquisitions, that could save them. If, God forbid, uh, the Braves lose Freddie Freeman for an extended period of time because of this, an acquisition like Tommy LaStella or a guy like Jake Lamb, they don't look great on paper. They're certainly not Freddie Freeman, but for a month, for two months, maybe they can act like him. It's... Mm -hmm. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of avenues here. There's a lot of these types of fringe players that you don't usually want starting that could represent a massive upgrade over your usual quad A type that you might replace a guy with if he goes down. Yeah, so teams are looking to build depth, especially the contending teams. So you want that next man up to be somebody who could step in and, and contribute right away. So that sort of second level and even third level, you know, you're going to be using a lot of players here this year. So um, the smarter teams, to your point, will do that. That's one of the, the Dodgers' secret weapons has been their depth. Um, the Yankees, mm -hmm. as you, as we saw all last year with the Talkmans and the Fords, you know, they found the depth and they were proactive about yeah. that ahead of time. So they knew they would need them when they hit the got the injuries. That same that's a, that's a mark of a, a well-run team when they anticipate those types of things. So these types of guys might move in advance of that for that reason. Yeah. So I think it's it's fair to say in summary of this that. The position player market looks different than it has in any season in recent memory. Um, the rentals are pretty weak. The mid-range has some names that are kind of a coin flip whether their team's going to be in it, whether even if the team's out of it, if they want to move them or not, if teams are willing to pay the price for them. And then on the high range, it's a whole lot of low probabilities, a whole lot of uncertainty, a whole lot of risk. 
but we do know that trades are going to happen. So it's, it's going to be interesting to watch this all unfold. Yep. Agreed. We'll keep an eye on it. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, as I mentioned, uh, the next two in the series will focus on starting pitchers and relievers, which I think will be more, um, will have more interesting names as well. Mm -hmm. I think, I think we can get into a lot there with mm -hmm. <laughs> larger rosters and the importance of, uh, bullpen and pitching depth as a result of this. That's right. Weird season we're living in. Okay. That's right. So on that note, you can expect another article for the next segment of this series to go up on the site sometime next week. And the following week, we'll be back on here on this podcast to talk about it. So I'd like to thank all of you for listening. Um, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to contact us. Either send us an email, baseballtradevalues at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. So, yeah, we hope you guys have a wonderful couple weeks. We can't wait to see baseball back. We hope all of your teams go undefeated this season. And we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Thanks, Josh. See you, everybody.